This episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Gooder. To get free shipping on your sunglass purchase from Gooder, visit the link in the show notes, gooder.com slash holly. Hey, everybody. I am Holly Samuel. I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your podcast host today. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about cross-training, which I think is something a lot of runners can benefit from, um, but maybe don't know quite how to incorporate it properly, or maybe feel like they have to run all the miles in order to be a good runner. And while yes, volume of aerobic endurance is really important if you want to do long distance running, and one way to do that is to tack on mileage. Another way to do that is to add on cross-training time, and this can be really helpful if you maybe aren't as durable of a runner as some of the other higher mileage folks out there. We're going to chat with Kim Nadeau, who is actually my coach, um, but she's got a really just impressive resume as well, um, including being a runner for most of her life through college at Brown University, um, after college, and also as a part of the USA mountain running team on the women's team where they placed uh, bronze in 2016. So she's got some pretty impressive running background, and she is a cross trainer herself. And as we'll learn in this episode, she just considers cross training, quote unquote, as just a part of running training um, to really help incorporate more um, aerobic base for runners in a way that is safe if you are maybe a bit less durable. Um, So we're just going to chat with her today all about cross training since it is something that she's very passionate about, has a lot of professional experience with as a running coach who tends to work with runners who do have a long list of injury baggage and also as something that she's used as a tool herself. So without further ado, let's welcome Kim to the podcast. Hey, Kim, and welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. For those of you who don't know Kim, she's also my coach. So we are going to talk all about uh, one of our favorite topics today um, that she's an expert in, uh, which is cross training. Um, So Kim, welcome to the show. Can you tell everyone just a little bit about who you are, where you're located and what you do? Thanks for having me, Holly. Um, Yeah, so I am a run coach. Like you said, I coach you and I focus on injury prevention. So a lot of runners who come to me um, have a history of injury that they're trying to work around, like how can they train for this upcoming race um, and work around their their past basically. Um, So I work with runners in person and over Zoom. So a runner might come to me with a diagnosis, some, you know, from a PT, and then I can help them to write a run specific rehab plan and talk about training modifications um, so that they don't necessarily have to take time off, but we just kind of rethink how they can keep their fitness and kind of get creative with their training. Um, and then I also um, do, and I'm not actually doing a lot of this right now. I kind of took a break once COVID started and I haven't really gotten back into it yet, but at some point I do hope to get back into um, doing work with muscle oxygen um, performance testing. So that's where I monitor blood flow and muscle oxygen while I watch runners um, run from low intensity to high intensity and just kind of see what happens with their physiology. And that tells me why they fail when they get to a very high intensity running, or it could, it could be a cycling test too, but I, I do this test as on runners, or I could do an elliptigo on the trainer. That's cool. Oh, that's really cool. Well, yeah, I mean, all that you just mentioned, that's why I came to you to have you coach me injury prevention or injuries that we can't figure out. <laughs> so um, I definitely appreciate that. And what is your, like, how did you get into, um, how'd you get into running, but also, cause I know you have a pretty extensive background with, with running and also how did you get into wanting to coach other people and work on injury prevention? Well, it's, it's kind of odd to be dr- drawn to the sport of long distance running, but you know, from like age five or six, for whatever reason, <laughs> I was just drawn to this sport. My, my parents would go out running every day and they ran together and um you know I'd be like can I come with you so 
every mm -hmm. once in a while they'd allow me to join them for maybe like one loop around the neighborhood and then um you know I, I was like entering some local races every once in a while not not too many they actually kind of held me back um they didn't really want me to train until I was at the high school um and so I, that, I did that. I waited until I was old enough to be on my high school team, which was eighth grade. And like, but I couldn't wait for that day. You know, it was like every year, it was like, okay, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And um, so I ran through high school, did pretty well. Um, ran at Brown University, did pretty well there. <laughs> ran for a few years after college and then I started really getting I, in college, I, I might get like one kind of significant injury a year. Um, but those injuries started becoming a bigger part of um, my training once I finished college. And um, I didn't really know how to deal with it at the time. So it was just like time off. OK, and then come back, have another injury take time off. And it was just this pattern that was kind of devastating, you know, to, to get fit and then go through the whole process over again. So I, I kind of stopped for a while and just took a break from um, high intensity training and started a family. Um, and then when I came back to running, I came back as a mountain runner, um, which I found that that type of training was just a little bit easier on my body. And at that same time, I was getting into a lot of strength training and just became much more durable runner. Um, and I was diversifying my training. I was keeping my mileage low even at that time. And so I was able to tolerate that type of training, um, which led to pretty good performances too. I realized I could keep my mileage low, but still race really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're being modest too. I mean, pretty good performances on an international level are pretty great performances in my book. So that's, I mean, that's interesting. So it sounds like too, just your own experience with injury too, kind of led you to be interested in helping other, other people. Yeah. So that I didn't start that work until, I don't know, it's maybe been six years now. Um, so I was kind of focusing on my own training and then I had really rehabbed like every type of injury. And, um, I, I kind of find that like, if you rehab your, an injury, you, you know, more about it than in, in many ways than somebody who just like has studied it, <laughs> but hasn't actually experienced what that's like. So I started like building up this portfolio of, uh, my own experiences. And I mean, I'm not just basing my work on my own experiences now, but that was sort of how I got started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know there's like every runner, like doesn't care about any injury until they get it. And then they're like, I need to know everything about this, <laughs> um, in order to help myself get better. And there's no one on a schedule more than an injured runner who wants to not be injured anymore and wants to kind of get back to running. So I can definitely appreciate that. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like even when you kind of got into more of the mountain running scene, you're keeping your mileage low, but you were also doing other things. So were you starting to incorporate like cross training into your training schedule for that type of running at that point? Yes. So that was when I was really getting into circuit training, lifting, I started focusing on um, upper body strength. I had like a lifelong goal of being able to do a pull-up but I could never do it. You know, even when I was in high school, I was interested in this idea of being able to do a pull-up and my dad had a pull-up bar, but I could never do one. And then um, I, I figured out how to do it. You know, I figured out the training to uh, finally achieve that first pull-up, which now I'm able to use with people who I coach too. Um, and I was sit-down cycling too. So I, um, my schedule was, to get out to my garage at five o'clock in the morning and do an hour on my um, bike trainer and then lift or finish with a run. So it was kind of one of those two things. So I was running about 30 miles a week and biking five to six and then, you know, doing additional work, strength training. So it was still high volume. But in terms of run volume, it was pretty, pretty low. And I was running probably a third of what most of my competitors were, were running. 
Interesting. That's interesting to put like a kind of a number on it compared to what other people are doing. I always find that really interesting um, because you do, you see, even if you like were to take a poll of like probably Boston qualifiers, like there's just so many different ways to get there. Um, and it depends on the person's background, but I think some, some people might limit themselves in thinking, Oh, I have to run, you know, a certain miles per week and it's probably really high and I can't do that. Um, or I don't, my body's not durable enough to do that, but that's not necessarily true. Um, so I always like to talk about this. So kind of to get into the whole cross training topic, like if you could just define like what we mean when we're talking about cross training, especially um, kind of cross training to support running volume, um, that would probably be super helpful to start. Well, I like to redefine cross training as just, it's just training. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not separate from running. It's just part of your training for your, your race. And I think that it's hard for runners to wrap their head around this idea that anything other than not all runners, but traditional runners and runners who have had traditional style coaches, you know, um, that it's hard to wrap your head around this idea that if you cycle or if you do some run specific circuit training that that is actually just training. <laughs> um, so having said that, I had to say that first. Um, but when I think about adding um, creative types of training to a run program, um, what I'm looking for is something that's heart rate specific. So it puts you in the same range that you would be if you, you know, if you were having a recovery day or that you could also get your heart rate up really high in this, um, this type of training. Um, I think about angles. So does this angle um, in this cross this training um, match this running, you know, how close can we get? Um, and then joy, that's a big part too, is when you're picking a second type of training that it should be something that you really enjoy doing. It should be you know, keep looking around until you find one that's really close to how much you like running. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think that that could be why a lot of runners maybe don't, you know, partake in that type of training and because they just like running and they're like, I think cross training has to mean biking and I hate biking, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Um, but I appreciate that you kind of use like the heart rate focus, like we kind of want to mimic a similar aerobic um, experience as we would when we're running. Um, and we kind of hear about like aerobic base often when we're talking about running, especially if you're doing any type of um, like distance event. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are like half full and ultra marathoners with maybe some triathlon thrown in the mix. Um, so when it comes to cross training or this second type of training that you're talking about, um, how can it actually maybe help us build an aerobic base? And is it like better, the same, or not as good as running just to kind of clear the air? <laughs> I think if we're training for a run event, there always has to be a, some component, you know, we, it's hard to show up to a race if you've just done a different type of training. Although sometimes that's necessary, you know, if you're really desperate to get to this race, but running isn't really, um, in the plan for now because of pain. Um, but I think that as long as you have done enough running that you can have a good transfer over to racing, that it, running can be as low as 20 miles a week, you know, I mean, maybe not for a marathon training, but if you're training for even a half marathon, you can get away with 20 to 25 miles a week. Um, so for base building, um, it, if anything, having an alternative type of training allows you to train more than you would if you were just relying on run miles because it's not as hard on the body. You know, it is easier to recover. You can go out for a two or three hour ride and that's a recovery day. And it, that would be a really challenging run. You know, and it's your heart rate is in that aerobic range, and it's harder to do that if you're just relying on your run miles. So, if anything, it allows you extra um, training time during the week if you balance it right with your running. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the term that comes up to you, I think that's a buzzword. Um, is like the term junk miles that kind of came up, I think, like a couple of years ago, where they were talking about 
you know, any easy mileage is dumb. You know, you should only do workouts. And I don't think you're necessarily talking about all easy running is useless. It's just, it's a different way to build that zone of your aerobic phase. So can you talk a little bit about just what you think about the term junk miles? What is the the place for easy running versus cross training? And how might someone decide if it would be better to like go out for that easy run or to maybe switch it with a cross training day? So I, um, I'm not a, opposed to high volume. So when we think about junk miles, um, I'm not opposed to a training plan that is, you know, has not necessarily a lot of miles, but that it has a lot of time. Um, and some re respond really well to that. You know, it's like, are you a responder or are you not a responder? Actually, that's kind of an interesting topic too, because it's where some of my muscle oxygen work comes in, where we can look at physiology based on um, trends in their data and see whether or not they would respond to high volume versus lower volume. You can kind of see that like, do because it tells us, do you need more aerobic zone two work or mm -hmm. other types of work? So high volume is definitely effective training for some athletes. And then, you know, it's, do you respond to it? You have, that's something that if you don't have access to testing, you have to figure out on your own. Um, and some athletes just prefer high volume. That's how they get their confidence. Um, but I think that when you incorporate other types of training, that you prolong the, uh, the, the lifespan of your running career. Mm -hmm. So if you like, you know, running 80 miles per week, well, what if we cut it to 40 and then just beefed it up with all these other types of training that you might actually find that you enjoy and they make the days that you run actually feel better because you've recovered. Yeah. I mean, like, are there any like things people could say, okay, if I'm running a ton of miles or I'm doing a ton of high volume cross training, like, is there a way for them to know if maybe they should try something different? Like, would they be getting injured? Would they be feeling burnt out? Like, can we out nutrition that, you know, I'm just not sure what you see from someone who coaches like a lot of different people. Right. I think this is when time trials are really helpful, you know, to do time trials at the beginning of a um, a season and then towards the end, or that's, you know, your goal race and to see how you responded to that type of training, but then also just to monitor, how do you feel with this type of volume? You know, are you still, still excited to go out and train every day? Or is it starting to feel like a chore when, you know, um, for one person, it might be an hour long session, but because you're doing high volume, you're looking at a two hour long session. So is that still fun? You know, are you carrying extra fatigue that you're not um, able to shake? And then when you have that type of high volume, you really need to key in on whether or not you have your zones correct. You know, do you really know your zone too? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of runners don't. They think they do. They think they're running in zone two. Um, and it becomes a bigger problem with the more volume that you have on your schedule. So and the, the, the problem with um, even figuring out zones is everybody's got a little bit of a different calculator. Yeah. Um, so when I'm doing zones, I might, I might look at their race. Um, I might do a heart rate test. I look at max heart rate and a little bit of it. I'm kind of like coming up with on my own. I'm not just necessarily doing calculations because every calculator is not every calculator, but there are just different approaches to it. So it's it's not like a perfect science. Um, so then I always kind of like to go on the lower end of that <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's safer. And most are gonna more likely to push the higher end of a zone two for training. And it just becomes a real problem the more um, the more volume you have on, on the schedule. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor, which is Gooder. Do you guys know about Gooder yet? Gooder are, in my opinion, the best sunglasses out there on the market, especially if you are an active person. 
They are 100% polarized. Um, they are also very affordable. So you don't have to worry about, you know, losing or breaking your favorite pair of expensive sunglasses. Um, and I've been running in Gooders for probably my entire running career. I found them pretty early on. My favorite pair are the Operation Blackout Mach-G Aviator version of Gooders. The other really fun thing about them is they have really fun names for their styles and colors. So not only when you get a pair of Gooders for yourself or one of your loved ones, you also just, I don't know, give them a little chuckle as they look at the name. <laughs> um, my husband also loves Gooders. He is a really big fan of the Ginger Soul OG frame style and also sunbathing with wizards, which is like kind of like a blue um, OG style, like Wayfair style sunglasses. So if you are an active person, if you're looking for an affordable pair of sunglasses that are going to be able to hold up to your active lifestyle, that you can take shopping with you, running errands or running up and down a mountain, running the Boston Marathon, going out on a boat, hanging out with your dog, I don't know, whatever you use sunglasses for. These are honestly my favorite pair of sunglasses. They don't bounce. They're not going to slip. I wear them in the winter, the summer, on the beach when I'm running. And they have a style for any occasion. So if you would like to get free shipping on your next Gooder purchase, visit gooder.com slash holly. Again, that's H-O-L-L-E-Y. And the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, if you're running, you know, or exercising in general, like hours and hours and hours, like kind of in zone three. <laughs> um, yeah, like that's just going to add up a lot over time. And you're probably going to get burnt out faster, but also not get the fitness benefits you're looking for from having more polarized training. Um, yeah, like you so might have responded well to that high volume, but we don't really know because you your intensity was too high. Right. Yeah. If you're kind of gunning every, every single effort, um, then yeah, you're not going to respond well to that, but it might not be the volume. It might just be the volume of zone three or four or five that you're doing instead of it being zone one or two. Um, and for, I mean, who like might be a good candidate for maybe taking some of the mileage away and adding in other types of training? Anyone. Mm -hmm. I know that some people are not getting injured with their, their higher miles, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to become a problem in the future. So thinking about diversifying training before it becomes a problem, um, I think it's really important just to think about, you know, do you want to run 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you can prolong your running career by cutting back on, um, on what you're doing now, you know, but, but not necessarily cut back on results. Um, I mean, this is something that I've played around with, with so many of my runners because they're, they are coming to me with these backgrounds, you know, they, they all have baggage. <laughs> so it's right. like, can they PR, you know, can I get my runners to PR off of lower mileage? Um, none of my runners run over 50 miles a week. Um, Holly, you run more than most of my other runners. Most of my runners are running 30 or less. And I have a lot of runners who are on riding elliptigos, but it doesn't just have to be an elliptigo. I like the elliptigo because it's angle specific, you know, so it's mimicking the leg angles and extension and flexion of running. And there's a fun factor to it because we get to go exploring same as cycling um but where were we going with this <laughs> i was actually just gonna ask you like what what are like the like what types of cross training could people do and like is there one that's maybe more running specific okay, versus but, like swimming um like just yeah. what are your thoughts on ranking them and if you really like hate the elliptical or you don't like certain types of cross training like is that bad? Does that affect your running outcome? So there are good types of cross training that is going to take you closer to running. And then there's like mediocre types of cross training. So the types of cross training that are most run specific are the elliptigo and a lot of elite runners use elliptigos. Um, cycling is a good option. Treadmill hiking is a good option. So I recommend 
15% and play around with about three miles per hour. And it might be a little less, it might be a little more, but you'll, you'll see that puts you about zone two for most people. Um, mountain hiking too. And I, I, I specify mountain because climbing does get the heart rate up to where we would like it to be if we're actually doing aerobic training, you know, but when you're descending, you do get the eccentric loading on the quads, which is a nice kind of strength training aspect, but it's not training the heart. Right. Um, so uphill mountain hiking, um, cross-country skiing is, is run specific. The ones that I don't like as much would be, I mean, if you like swimming, you can swim, but is it a good, you know, training tool for running? It's not the best choice. I'm also not a big fan of water. It's a good choice if you have a bone injury and you, you can't load your bones, but because you can't load your bones and because you're not loading your muscles and your tendons, that creates a real problem, you know, when you're, um, trying to get back to running. So it's actually okay if it's, you are already running and then you have one day a week where you want to water run, that's okay. But if you are injured and you aren't able to run at all and you don't have a bone injury, water running is not your best choice because you do want to load the muscles and the bones and the tendons in some way. Yeah. I've heard that, um, oftentimes we can gain like aerobic fitness faster than we can gain strength from the same activity. So I know that like in the, in the case of water running, that's one of the things where, yeah, you can keep your aerobic fitness up, but then if you do kind of go return to weight bearing activity, you know, if you haven't really loaded the joints, they may get injured faster than, you know, you're feeling really good, like going out there. Cause your aerobic system is real, you know, in really good shape, but then the mechanics aren't as good. Yeah. A bunch of times I've seen runners use water running as their cross training tool while they're injured. And then when they come back, they get a stress fracture right away because yeah. they didn't load their bones. That's such a bummer. <laughs> um, yeah. So I know you're a really big fan of elliptigo and elliptical, um, in general. And you had mentioned to like a lot of elite runners use that in their training. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you're involved in the community. So like which elite runners have you seen use it in your, in their training and how would you recommend someone incorporate, um, like elliptical, like mileage into their training? Would you use hours like time on the bike or how does that work? Yeah, so um, there, there's a document that showed going into the marathon trials, there were like 100 runners who, but Molly Seidel, Molly Huddle, they both used them. Molly Seidel won Elliptigo World Championships one year, so that was kind of cool. Um, off the top of my head, I'm blanking. Oh, Med Kofletsky, when he won Boston, that was how he was doing. Instead of doing his second run each day, you know, because a lot of elite runners do doubles, he was choosing um, to ride his elliptigo as his second training session for mm -hmm. the day, and then he won Boston. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So the way that I would um, incorporate cross or elliptigoing or cycling, any kind of um, second alternative type of training um, into a runner's schedule is really different depending on where they are right now. So mm -hmm. if they are, can I go through the different scenarios? Yeah. Yeah, please. So let's say they are returning from injury. Then I would do a lot of combo work, you know, like they can handle 15 minutes of running and then I'd have them just quickly transition to their alternative training. So they were still getting in the volume and that's actually going to make it easier for them to continue their transition to running. And we'd slowly increase the running and decrease some of the alternative training. Um, and then as these runners are getting ready for um, higher intensity running, I would have them doing their workouts on that cross training tool. And then slowly transition back to doing run workouts. And then they would use their second training tool uh, for zone two training instead. So I would have them do high intensity, but eventually phase that out 
and it would just become a way to do more aerobic work. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a mistake that I've made myself and also have seen other runners make is where they'll say, okay, cross training is good. So I should do cross training, but I'm already doing like a long run and mileage and my workouts while running. And then they go and do a high intensity Peloton class twice a week on top of everything else. And it can just be a lot of high intensity load where you're out of that zone two kind of work. Um, so yeah, I, I like the recommendation of if you are already kind of doing a lot of the heavy, the heavy work, you know, in your running, you don't need to also do that cross training, use it as a supplemental, like almost as like a second easy run. Yeah. When I have runners who are like, they're like, I'm going to get a Peloton. I say, why, you know, because a lot of it is about the workouts and then mm -hmm. they, I, I, I don't allow them to use that aspect of Peloton unless they, um, you know, unless we're kind of like an off season or they are coming back from an injury because really the ultimate goal is that you're going to still do your workouts running and right. just beef up your overall volume using that cross training tool. Exactly. Um, and it's really interesting too. I mean, even if you look at a lot of triathletes, they kind of, they kind of implement this in training where, you know, they have to do some intensity specific workouts on the bike or in the pool, but they're not usually doing like all of the above in a week. And then some it's still pretty polarized. So I kind of like to think about, um, again, the polarizing it that way, like not, you know, really probably much more than, you know, 20, 30% of your, of your total volume should be like a, a workout. The rest of it should probably be relatively that recovery pace or recovery effort. Rather. For some of my runners that are, you know, they have like a bigger history of on and off running because um, overuse injuries pop up a lot. I might actually continue having them do one of their workouts, their higher intensity workouts on their cross training tool. And then ease into one run workout a week and just kind of like watch how they respond. Um, wow. And if they're responding well to that and they are injury free, then I don't see a reason to change it, you know? So mm -hmm. it can be used for high intensity training, even when like everything's feeling good, but you're just trying to keep it that way. Cause yeah. it's this cycle for a lot of runners where they're like, okay, I'm feeling good. I don't need my, um, I don't need to get on the bike anymore, you know? And so they just go right back to the way that they were training before and then end up in the same situation. So we're kind of like thinking about the future and where you could be if you're, you know, your training, um, isn't safe and what's safe for one person is a little bit different for someone else, but that's where a coach comes in where they can kind of determine what type of training is going to work best for you. Yeah. Um, and for like kind of that cross training, um, tool, obviously part of the thinking about the future and the purpose of using it is to hopefully supplement your aerobic training and also help prevent injuries that may come up. If you're running more miles, do you see injuries come up at all with certain cross training tools? Like, and what should kind of people be wary of? Like, I'm not sure what, you have to say on that subject, just be knowing like all the different injuries that you've worked with that are probably more running specific. Oh, all of the injuries come from running. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't see it. I don't see, I almost never, well, I mean, the strength that I program is very safe. So I never get my runners saying like, oh, that lift routine you gave me that injured me. I never get them, hear them saying that they're cycling injured them. I mean, sometimes we do see some low back pain, you know, with cycling, but even that it doesn't happen very often. Um, swimming, <laughs> they, none of my runners would swim enough to get, you know, get like shoulder injuries and, um, cause it's just supplemental, but yeah, I don't see any injuries with, with the, um, with diverse training. It all comes from running. Yeah. It's I think that's time. really, yeah. Well, and I think too, like, it's when you are kind of trying to obviously do all of the supplemental stuff that like you said, isn't really supplemental. It's part of the integral training for that person, but you're trying to do it to be 
a specialized athlete who specializes in running. <laughs> um, yeah, like if you're doing the most running, that's probably where the injuries are going to come from because it's a high impact sport. But like you said, you're probably not going to see some of these other cross training and I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see because it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, when, when you look at cross training type of injuries, it's usually when the person has specialized in that sport. So like if you're cycling, you know, a hundred milers, or if you're trying to swim at a 10 K or something like that, that's probably when, yeah, the really high volume stuff, you're going to see some of those injuries, but it is kind of hard to get injured cross training if you're using it supplementally in the correct way to support your running. But if you're doing too much intensity, that's where we can start to see maybe some, some burnout, but that's probably the highest risk with most of this stuff. Um, so, I mean, in terms of Elliptigo too, like, how did you find out about Elliptigo? Like, how'd you get involved in, um, like getting the bikes and just, can you tell people a little bit about Elliptigo? Cause I, I know some people might've heard of it, but it might be like a newer subject for others. Sure. Sure. Um, so when I was a sit down cyclist, I was getting back pain. I was riding probably just enough that it was causing a problem, um, because I was at like five or six hours a week. And so then I suddenly lost half of my training, which already, I mean, you know, right. I'm running 30 miles a week at the most. So it was like, I, I couldn't really afford to, to lose that training. Um, so for a while I did, and I actually lost running too. So I, I like lost everything. <laughs> um, oh man. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? And this, the thing about having a, your second training tool is that you have to have it in place, you know, like always have it there so that you have something that you can step on. If you either have a day where you, you know, or have like a little niggle, you have this other tool, you're ready, you know, you don't have to go figure out what am I going to do now that I have this little injury, like, oh, just be prepared. So, um, so yeah, that led me to just a lot of time off because I had no choices. and. Then one day I heard about, like literally that morning, saw that there was this type of elliptigo for sale. And um, it turned out to not be the kind I, that I bought or that I think would be the best choice for me. But I called the company and you know got their service manager on the phone, who's a woman, which I love. I love that their service manager is female because like you walk into any bike shop and it's always men who work in service. Um, and so we talked a lot about how I might use an elliptigo um, for my training. And so an elliptigo looks like an elliptical, but on wheels. So I always say like, I'm a runner on wheels. It is running. It's just that you're going a lot faster and a lot farther and having just as much fun. Um, and um, it just, I thought, that it sounded like exactly what I needed. And so, you know, I heard about it that morning and I bought it by that night. <laughs> and it was, it was at my house within a week. And it was kind of like love at first ride because all of a sudden I had my training back, you know. Um, I finally had this option that didn't hurt. And actually I ride quite a bit. So when we think about if you, um, you know, have one type of sport where like, if you're running a lot, that's going to, that could cause problems. If you're cycling a lot, well, I actually do ride quite a bit and I, um, I don't get pain when I ride. So sometimes I'm riding 10 mile, 10 hours a week, um, and without problems. So it's just really safe for my body. And for a lot of the runners who I work with, um, and has this wonderful carryover to running, you know, after I went through that period where I was hardly running, I started, I was only running 20 miles a week at that point and Elipta going a lot. And I was performing just as well off of 20 miles a week. So it was, it's just a really nice compliment to, to running. Yeah. And like, actually too, I don't think I've asked you this question. I've gotten to try the Elliptigo, one of your Elliptigo bikes at, um, when we went to rise run retreat together, that Sarah Kinney hosted, who's also been on this podcast. Um, but is, so when you have the Elliptigo bike, um, 
can you put it on like a trainer inside and are there different like resistances like there are on an actual elliptical or how would you, I guess, use that, um, in that way? Yeah. And the answer is yes, it, you can put it inside. So it's an indoor and outdoor option. Um, and there are three different models. I always recommend the eight C or the 11 R. So the eight has 11 gears. I mean, sorry, the eight has eight gears. The 11 has 11 gears. Um, and it's a little different from an elliptical similar motion, but it's a longer stride. So if I hop on an elliptical now, it feels very choppy, you know, like it just, mm, that's how I feel about them too. Yeah. But the elliptigo is, um, more, uh, specific to kind of the angles of running and the stride length of running. Um, so kind of, it's similar, but it just has kind of a smoother feel to it. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can put it inside and put your music on really loud, <laughs> <laughs> like I do. Um, and you know, I'll even do when I'm inside, I can do hands free. So mm -hmm. I'll do like a run motion and it's just my legs that are, are moving. So it's, it gets very run specific. Yeah. I like I like that option too. I mean, obviously I don't even, I don't remember if you mentioned at the beginning, but you're also located in new England. So like, you know, if you can't, or it's harder to ride a bike or an elliptigo outside, it's nice to be able to take it, you know, inside and be able to keep the intensity somewhat the same with like, kind of be able to change the terrain like it would outside. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've moved my, um, my bike inside for the winter because we are already covered in snow here. Um, I did forget to say that I, I, outside of um, Amherst, Massachusetts, just outside mm. it, like we get a lot more snow than Amherst because we're just north and higher up. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I am inside right now and I'm like kind of a cold weather wimp. So I don't mind running outside in this, but I don't want to ride outside. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um and actually too, I just pulled up the like athlete list for elliptigo. So, I mean, just to read off some people, Alephine Tuliamuk, M. Mm -hmm. Sisson, American record holder, casual, um, Molly Seidel, Dom Scott, Aisha Protlier, Corey McGee, Heather McLean, um, Meb Kaflesky, Abdi, um, Ab Abdirman, I can never pronounce his last name. Um, sorry, Abdi, um, Allison Felix. So like, I mean, elite athletes use these, like it's definitely helpful to incorporate into training. Um, so, I mean, if this is something that is interesting to you, I think it's in, and biking isn't your thing. It can be a really great way to get outside, but also take it back inside and kind of use it as like a gym machine, um, you know, in your own house. Um, and when you, cause I do your strength workouts. Uh, mm -hmm. I did one today. Um, <laughs> when you do program like strength into your, um, athletes programs too, like, do you kind of consider that part of their, like, quote, again, air quotes, like cross training volume? Cause I know your strength workouts look a little different depending on what the goal is. Yeah. I think I would include two of them in, um, in, cross training, which they're the ones that are higher intensity. So some of them are more core specific, um, and those are pretty low intensity sessions. So they're good for you and they're important, but I don't really consider it a part of, you know, like kind of building up your aerobic base. Um, but the, the, the higher intensity lifts because they're run specific, because we often see heart rate climbing up into zone two or higher. Um, I do consider that cross training. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I've looked at my watch, which I know the heart rate's not perfect on my optical sensor, but yeah, after, you know, some of the more core trunk focus sessions, it's like, 90, you know, beats per minute. And then after like some of the other ones that you have me do and others, yeah, it's like 110, 120 or 100, or it's kind of up into that closer to zone two range. So I always wondered that because I know some people will use, they'll use strength training and they'll kind of gravitate more towards like that higher intensity circuit training. And for some people that may not be the best, um, but it can definitely be like a useful tool in training if it's safe for you to incorporate. Um, do you have like anything to add in regards to like 
where that might be a good idea to incorporate that type of training versus the more traditional like lift rest type training? Yeah. So I think earlier on in, um, in the training cycle, when we're not doing so much intensity in our running and we're just starting to build up, um, then those circuit sessions are really helpful because you're, you you still have time to recover. You know, I think that we're, where we get into a problem with a lot of circuit training or like CrossFit sessions is that then you're also doing, you know, your run workouts and how do you balance this so that you recover in between sessions? Mm-hmm. Um, so I find early on in a training cycle that a circuit training is really helpful or like mixing it in too. When we think about diversifying our training and, um, you know, I like to, with some of my runners, I'll program the strength mid session so that they're mixing in running and they're mixing strength training. And this is a way for me to just increase the duration of their run safely um, and that works really well for, for some of my runners who are just very sensitive to high intensity running because they get a little bit of you know intensity in the strength training and then they are fatigued when they show up to the run interval. So the run interval doesn't need to be quite as fast, but it's still their heart rate is elevated. Um, and so that kind of Strength training works really well for some of my runners and most of them really enjoy that type of training too. Like it's not just for OCR athletes. It's not just for hybrid athletes, you know, um, like we can diversify even though we are runners. Yeah. Yeah. I love doing that. I did that even before you coached me, like kind of more during my, okay, we're going to start training for something soon, but it's not really the off season anymore. Part of training, um, usually in the summer, cause it's a little bit more fun to stop and do stuff when it's not 10 degrees out. Um, but I, I totally see what you mean just as someone who likes to do that. And then, you know, I asked you if we could do that and you were like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, I have UNH's stadium about a mile away. What do you, what do you think of that? Um, you know, so I, I love that style of training because you can kind of get more out of yourself. Um, but it seems to be easier on your body. It's magic. Definitely. So you can turn, you know, what might've been like a 45 minute run into a 75 minute run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause there's more breaks again, air quotes, rest, but you're not resting during the rest. You're doing something that's productive. <laughs> exactly. And then when you're done with that session, you aren't like, Oh, I have to go do my strength work. Like when you're done, you're done. And so for a lot of runners, they like being able to finish out their training that way and then not having to then go out and do their lift. Yeah. Yeah. And to get on my soapbox quickly, um, cause I have to, um, I think too, like just, running culture that really likes high mileage. They like those smooth Strava lines. They like to start and stop their watch for a run. I think some of this mindset's really limiting to some of this training that can be very productive because like, I know the first time I did this after I like just got a watch, I was like, wait, what do I do when I'm strength training during my run? Like there's not a setting for that (laughs) on my watch you know, and it's like, that's so stupid. You know, we could just, we could just move our bodies and have it be productive. So if that's always something that maybe has been limiting for you, I would uh, challenge you to ditch the watch or to just pause the watch and do your strength training during your rest and know that it still counts. (laughs) I always think it's funny too, to do that type of training and have your, um, your pace look like, you know, four or five minutes slower than if you were just out running. And, um, right. and, and I think it's actually kind of funny to post that and just be <laughs> proud of it. Like I just ran thir- so-called 13, there are my air quotes, 13 minute pace, yeah. but Hey, you know what, if I wanted to, I could run six minute pace too, <laughs> you know, and then to show up yeah. at a race. And when people are looking at, you know, if they've been looking at your Strava and it looks like you've been out doing these runs at 13, 14 minute pace, but, um, and to be okay with what that looks like to other people. I think it's funny. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's just like, I find the, the faster I get, especially towards like the peak weeks of like marathon training, like the slower I have to go on my recovery runs and people are like, Oh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's slow. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to race well, but then it's like, actually, no, watch. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, I like, that you're healthy too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I ran that pace and now I am going to race well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And that's, I think too, part of the like barrier to entry for a lot of people with cross training or just incorporating this training into your whole schedule, um, is that it doesn't look good on Strava. Um, and I, I, I understand, I hear you, but also again, that could be a barrier to entry for something that could change your entire life. Um, you know, it could be something that allows you to be extremely fit and do very, very well with this whole running thing, even though maybe it looks a little bit different than what some of the guys in your group run once a week do. Um, I think too, didn't just like a, I think it, someone who won the cross country yeah. championships. Yeah. yeah. She also, I, I, I think I heard of her my turn to, to talk so that yeah. I was like, I'm going to bring up Parker Valby. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Go ahead. That's a perfect example of someone who, um, and Natalie cook too. I don't know as much about her training style, but I did read a little bit about Parker and she uses an arc trainer and going into outdoor uh, nationals last year. So she's a division one runner. Um, she was not running at all. Whatever her injury was, she wasn't running at all. And she was only cross training. She came in second. And then this year going into cross country nationals, I think she was running, she runs twice a week mm-hmm. and she was winning the race. She ended up coming in second, but um, so she has had an incredible response to, it's like her body doesn't mind as long as she's running enough to get that transfer to running. If she didn't have those two days, the two days per week, maybe she wouldn't see those same results, but she's running just enough that she gets a good transfer to, um, to racing. Mm-hmm. And the way that she is probably doing her training, and I don't know this for sure, but my guess is that her two days are her workouts that she's and then everything else she does is, um, aerobic volume, um, on the arc trainer. So she's actually probably able to train more than someone who just runs because this is low, you know, low impact training. You can't necessarily run 12 hours per week. Um, I mean, some people do, but it's not easy. That's a lot of miles. That's like over a hundred miles per week. Um, So she's able to train more because she's relying so heavily on her second training tool. Yeah. I listened to a podcast with her. I think it was Emma Abrahamson's podcast, which is called something with cold brew conversations over cold brew. I think it is, but she, that's exactly what she said. She does. She said her runs during the week are usually um, like the workouts, like they're the, the quality sessions. And then she's doing a lot of supplemental on the arc trainer. I think she said she sometimes swam too, but it was mostly arc trainer to mimic running. Um, and that's obviously unique, I think, for a lot like a high caliber, you know, division one athlete like that. Be- but just because a lot of them aren't doing it doesn't mean that maybe more of them wouldn't benefit from doing it, um, especially them- to stay healthy later, you know, in their careers, too. A lot of them aren't doing it because it's tradition not to, you know, exactly. And these coaches are and I mean, they're a lot of them are great coaches, but they're still old school and it's um, mileage, 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 the more mileage, the better. But I mean, I see it over and over again. It does not require high mileage to be good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think too, like even the conversation about time on feet is interesting because like you said, you know, Kipchoge, you know, running his easy pace where I think he finishes a lot of his easy runs, you know, faster than a lot of recreational runners are running their easy pace. Like he can probably cover more mileage because his easy pace is a bit faster than someone whose easy effort is truly like a 12, 13 minute mile. Um, so, I mean, even the time on your feet to think about it from that perspective, like we have to just think outside of mileage sometimes to kind of get back on my, my Strava soapbox. (laughs) I could not agree more. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that becomes especially true with slower runners. You know, if you send us a slower runner who's training for a marathon out for a 20 mile run, I mean, it can be irresponsible coaching. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, totally. I know. I always try to explain that to 
my runners who like their three hour run, like long run would typically take, you know, wouldn't be 20 miles. It would, it would be shorter than that because of their pace. Um, and yeah, I think it can be really daunting because we think of marathon training, you know, the 20 mile long run that everyone's doing that's on every, you know, training plan that you can find for free on the internet. And you're like, well, if I don't do that though, am I really going to be able to go the distance? And you absolutely can go the distance. Um, I actually just had a runner do CIM and yeah, she's doing a lot of her easy mileage, um, you know, in that kind of 12, 13 minute range. And I think she ran like 10 30 pace for her first marathon and she was doing a ton of biking, um, to help awesome. supplement the hours. And she was like, can I actually do 10 more miles though? Cause I think her three hour long run ended up being around 15, 16 miles. And I was like, oh yeah, you can. And she did, she did great. So, I mean, it's, I think a lot of it's mental. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is another way that I might use a cross training option too. Is that for a runner yeah. that either can't safely add, um, you know, get to a twenty mile long run to prep for a marathon, um, or that the the length of time outside becomes too long, then I'll say like, we'll just finish up on whatever, finish up on the bike, finish up on the elliptico that do back to back with your strength training, just like somehow make it longer, but we're not going to add more miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's just taking the pounding off, but getting you the same adaptation. So, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure people knew about cross training before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Yeah. Is there any way, like, is there, I was going to say, where can people find you and the services you offer, but also um, like Elliptigo stuff too? Uh, my website is traininginclined.com. And then I'm on Instagram, which I just changed my name. So I think it's, um, <laughs> it's, I, inclined <laughs> to it. I think it's kim.netto underscore training.inclined. Awesome. If you search for Kim Netto, you will find it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes so people can go find it. Um, and is your, is Elliptigo information there as well, or should people go somewhere different for that? If they want to specifically look at the website, it's just elliptigo.com, but also my, you know, getting in touch with me, I can answer any questions if they got awesome. in touch with me either through my website or Instagram. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. Well, I'm excited to ask you my end of the podcast question. I can't remember if I warned you about this or not, or if you're a musically inclined person, but if you are crossing the finish line, say it's Mount Washington road race, finish line of the Mount Washington road race, best race of your life. What song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you're feeling in that moment? Um, okay. So I do listen to music and because I am an uphill mountain runner, a lot of my um, my workouts are done on the treadmill. You know, I mm -hmm. put the incline up on the treadmill and that's where I kind of get my specific training. So that does require some music. Yes. Uh, so I, I have like songs, like favorite songs come on and off my playlist. Um, but I like like kind of like good rhythm songs. So I think like right now I've been listening to Shaggy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so like um Boombastic and Angel. Um, so those are remind that reminds me of what it feels like to train. And so I would like if I heard that at the end, then I'd want to start dancing and singing. And but I promised that I would try to not sing too loud because you guys maybe know about my singing voice is not the best. <laughs> I'll keep it quiet. <laughs> I forgot I knew you were musically inclined because of the video your husband took of you. <laughs> I mean, musically inclined is a stretch, Holly. <laughs> you listen to music when you train. Because not everyone, I'm learning by asking this question that not everyone does. And I I listen to podcasts when I do a lot of my easy runs so I don't get too, too excited. Um, and then I'll listen to music when I'm doing, you know, some of your workouts because they're hard. Um, and I just associate that so much with like how I would feel during the end of a race because they're equal amounts hard. So, but not everyone does. So I love that you do. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, how could you run on a treadmill for any length of time without just like the best rhythm in your ears? You know, like I feel running is all about rhythm. And so, mm -hmm. and uphill running is about rhythm and finding this 
this spot that's comfortable but hard. So like I definitely um need the music to to find that place and to distract my mind while I run. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. I love the shaggy. No one said shaggy yet, and I feel like <laughs> Could have been sent by now. So I'm going to add that to the playlist for, I mean, for everyone. Yeah. On Spotify, there's a shaggy playlist and it is so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking all about cross training. I hope that hopefully if people were skeptical, they're not anymore, or maybe they're more open to it. And if people are cross trainers, they feel validated by everything that you said today. Thanks, Holly. Thanks for having me. Kim, thank you so much for coming on today's episode of the podcast. Hopefully people have gotten a really good background on how cross training can be just an important part of training that they might be able to incorporate to help them reach their running goals and have more longevity in the sport, which I know is important to a lot of us runners as well. We don't want running to be taken away from us. We want to be able to do it for years and years and years into later parts of life and still be healthy, functional people. So this can actually be a really great tool in order for people to do that. If you guys are looking to support the show, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player. That just helps more people basically get access to this information so that I can keep building these episodes for you guys. And it's so much fun to do because then I get to have awesome people like him on the show and get to pick my coach's brain about topics that, you know, she is passionate about, which is really fun uh, selfishly, but also hopefully you guys are enjoying these episodes as well. I hope that your new year is off to a healthy and happy start and happy running or elliptic going or biking or swimming or rowing or whatever training you are doing today. See you guys later.